Hello, hello, this is Alex Burkett, and you are listening to The Long Game Podcast. This episode is a part of our Kitchen Side series, where we pull back the curtain and show you the behind-the-scenes conversations, debates, strategies, and brainstorming sessions that we have at our agency. And this episode was a spicy one. There's a lot happening in the marketing world with news and sometimes sensationalist headlines about AI, and now there's Google Search Generative Experience, SGE. We expect that to roll out soon, so we wanted to get ahead of some of the chatter, talking about plans as well as our own to prepare without relying on speculative predictions. Outside of that, we also go down a few weird rabbit holes about the impact of the internet in general and technology on social behavior and society, as well as some mini rants about convenience and friction and maybe the rise again of generalists in the business world. Anyway, it was an amazing conversation, so let's get into it. So I'm road tripping from Austin, Texas to New York City, and I'm taking a long trip through a lot of the country, including Hot Springs, Arkansas. I'm in Nashville now, and I spent two days in Hot Springs. Uh, beautiful, beautiful town. Uh, Arkansas is actually a pretty beautiful state in general, but I went on a hike really? slash run. Yeah, yeah. Hot Springs is particularly I mean, nice. I don't, I don't know what's there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's cool. Uh, Hot Springs, I mean, I don't want to go too far into this, but like, it, as the name suggests, there's tons of bathhouses, hot springs, cold springs. It's just naturally beautiful. It's a national park. Um, you can't even enjoy those because you just got a tattoo. I just got a tattoo. Yeah, so I can't do any of those. So that's a bummer. Um, but anyway, I, I was on a hike slash uh, run, and I came back, and I found a tick on my arm. And I started freak, freaking out. Um, it hadn't burrowed. It hadn't bit. Uh, but I, you know, tore up the ho- hotel room and, like, checked my dog f- four times and took two showers and was freaking out. And I was looking at um, uh, articles online about ticks. And it's a v- apparently very, very uncommon to have Lyme disease outside of the upper Midwest and New England. And there's all kinds of different ticks. So I was looking at what type of tick this was. And it seems to be a Lone Star tick. But Lone Star ticks, they, they don't transfer Lyme disease, but they do have this very peculiar effect on some people where they transmit this disease that makes people allergic to red meat. <laughs> so so y- y'all were joking about me moving away from Texas and like the universe being like, here's what you get. <laughs> and I was like, I, yeah, first I had to give up my guns at the door, now my red meat. <laughs> if, you, um, if you're moving away from Texas barbecue, you're not allowed to have red meat anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And curiously, it causes intense cravings for oat milk and tofu. So... <laughs> I uh, I feel so ignorant about like not knowing much about ticks because so my dog Chance, he's gotten a couple ticks on him before and like I caught one that my he had on him when my girlfriend brought him back from a walk slash run and I was like oh my god a tick and I freaked out and just like pulled it off. She yelled at me. She's like you're not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm like why? And she's like if it bites then it burrows and like it leaves parts of itself in the dog. I don't think it bit because I couldn't. At least I, my eyes couldn't see anything burrowed in, but I now know a lot more about ticks than would have if I just stayed in California. So. Is there anything ecologically beneficial about ticks? Like, you know how, like, spiders and, and, and snakes and, like, all of these other things that people tend to dislike have real ecological values. But, like, bees, that was one thing. You know, everybody was afraid of bees. But bees are really important. And it seems like ticks and maybe mosquitoes. I'm not totally sure. I know bats eat mosquitoes and bats do a bunch of good things. But I don't think ticks are good for anything. Mm. Many bugs could 
not exist anymore, and I'd be okay with that. I'm yeah, sure but there's a weird butterfly effect. Design. I'm sure there's a design, some yeah, ecological yeah. design to that, but no. This is like I, compl- complex systems. Like it's like you, yeah, the flap of a wing of a butterfly causes a hurricane half the world away, or something like that. So it's like, yeah, on a micro level, it seems like they're maybe useless, but I'm sure. Oh, ticks are it does a favorite something. food source for chickens, turkeys, and other ground birds like grouse. A strong hmm. and important link in so the food. So chickens food. would starve. Hmm, maybe. I'm sure they would find other sources of foods. Um, yeah. Most chickens are not, fe- like, I feel like most chickens are not, um, like, grass-fed and, like, eating bugs nowadays. Corn. Like, most of them are, like, fed vegetarian, corn-fed. Corn yeah. Not vegetarian by choice, by the way. Like. Yeah, yeah. No, they wouldn't. They would never choose to be that, um, which is, uh, you know, telling. But, um, you know, when you get those, like, uh, farm fresh eggs and they have those deep orange yolks and, like, mm-hmm. you go to the oh, grocery yeah. store and get your, your generic, like, big box eggs and it's, like, this pale, sickly, pathetic yolk? Well, my – so we have a lot of friends who are farmers in Kentucky and they keep their eggs on the counter. And that's what you're supposed to be able to do with like truly organic, like farm fresh eggs um, aren't white. They're, those are bleached and mm-hmm. like, the insides are usually not. That's how it is in Europe, orange. too. Yeah. I was shocked when There's you a... go through the grocery store. They're all outside of the refrigerator. There. Yeah. There was a American period where there's a period where I regularly bought eggs from the grocery store and the eggs would frequently have two yolks, and I'm like, "Oh, that's the, the fuck best. is going on with with what that's they're doing luck. with these chickens?" <laughs> but I was just like, "What are they doing to these chickens that they keep having these twins in these eggs?" Twins. <laughs> I used to eat eight eggs a day for a long time. Oh for for a couple of years, I would eat like like eight so eggs when a day. You're <laughs> Those pancakes. It's a really Chicken good, it's a high quality, like really balanced meal. Like the per, the, it's like the perfect ratio of protein to fats and yeah. it's got a bunch of choline. Um, yeah. Jury's out on the cholesterol aspects, but I think that's mostly okay at this point. All right. We got to stop talking about food because I haven't eaten today. I'm getting blood work done this afternoon. So they were like, you have to fast. Oof. I shouldn't have made my appointment at 1 PM. Oof. Intermittent fasting, AKA skipping breakfast. <laughs> It was funny, like for a while, cause I was intermittent fasting and like, they say you're supposed to do like a 14 hour window or something like that, which is really like, if you calculate it out, what, like you don't eat after 8 PM and then you eat breakfast at 10 AM, which is remarkably normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like intermittent fasting. Intermittent it's not even, it's not even like a thing. <laughs> it's basically discipline against dessert. <laughs> Just stop eating at 8. Big deal. <laughs> Can't yeah. have your little Snickers bar at 11 p.m. But it sounds cooler when you attach a word to it, which I think maybe translates to marketing, too. You know, they're they're calling taking a walk in the woods now. They're calling it forest bathing. And walking around on the, the bare ground uh, is called earthing. Yeah. Like no shoes or socks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that whole notion of, like, going earthing. on a morning walk is, like, now a hot girl walk. Have you all seen that? No, I haven't seen that. It's probably more of like a TikTok thing, but I think during COVID, people were like, get me the fuck out of my house. So they started going on like a morning walk with like their dog and like their podcasts. And now it's like hot girl walk. This is like, that's, that's cooler than the, the hyper optimization bro stuff. Andrew Huberman had (laughs) talked about how, um, like he talks about morning sunlight view and, and I think he calls it forward ambulation. Which is walking. Oh, my God. 
That's going to be a thing now. If someone says some bullshit about health, it's going to be like, okay, Andrew Huberman. That's like going to be a new cultural dig. Calm down. It's just vitamin D. Hate this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Sprinkle a couple science words in. It sounds more legit. God. Yeah. I got to do my forward ambulation this morning. Views. <laughs> and your psychological sigh. That's, that's another one where it's basically a deep breath. <laughs> I hate everything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deep breaths. Things work. Things. Yeah. What's yeah. going on in the this marketing is a world? Special episode of Kitchen Side where we just talk about politics and health. Just talk about nothing. <laughs> Red meat. Talk Texas. about everything except marketing. Yeah. yeah um, the Seinfeld of marketing well, shows. The hot shit right now is this Google search generative experience, SGE, for short. Seeing a lot of type on LinkedIn about it already, but, and I haven't validated yes, but I've, I have a sample size of N equals one, one client who shared their entire internal discussion about what this means for the business. And I think it's just a signal of what's to come. Like people are starting to maybe not freak out about it, but it's something they're worried about. And I think Mm -hmm. we're starting to think about how we want to communicate to clients. I'm like, Hey, like, don't freak out. There's a lot we don't know, but here's how you can mitigate risk. So I know, Ali, you kind of yeah. led the charge on. You're putting together a memo. Anything you want to talk about? Yeah, there? it's been a it's been a good deep dive. I mean, I know the memos for Google, oh, the ones that Google released were on May 10th. So it's been a couple weeks now, but it's been an interesting rollout. Like first Bard, which was more of an experimental experimental thing that was only available through personal Google, right? And I think it's since been released for Google Workspaces. Um, but right now, the search generative experience is just through labs, and it's only accessible, or the wait list is only accessible through a personal Google account. So the rollout is really slow. I think they're still experimenting with usage. Um, so it will be some time undetermined until it really affects the normal search behavior that anyone can access anytime. Um, but I think the timing of us getting ahead of it is really good. And I, the three of us talked before we hopped on about really to, to what depth of speculation should we go. So I guess I'll throw out the caveat of like, we don't know a lot of this, but I think we're uniquely positioned to speak to it um, a little bit more responsibly than some of our peers have done. We know things will happen. Organic traffic will be impacted by how much. I don't know. Um, but that was most of the, what the team collaborated on in this memo is just understanding like what's the lay of the land and what are the things that are safe to assume with this rollout if and when it impacts typical, normal, universal search behavior, uh, which isn't determined yet. So we've talked about you know organic traffic being impacted, provided that the, the Gen AI search results take up most, if not all, of above the fold. Um, we've talked about how it will impact, you know, content authorship, content types that are that are rolling out on the SERPs, a couple other things. And I think for now, those are the things that are safe to assume. And yeah, that's where we've we've left off with the memo. So what are our thoughts there? Well, can we what what is search generative experience and like what do we already know based on what Google has well, either said or what they have rolled out? Yeah, so they've rolled out a memo about SGE and a video and the video is actually really cool. I'm personally pretty excited to see how this looks from like a consumer search perspective. Um, but it's essentially taking most if not all of the f- first chunk of the search results and 
to me, it looks like a very elaborate and a lot more involved uh, featured snippet. And there's a lot more uh, media provided. So imagery, video, and from what I can tell, if you want to continue to talk to Google about your search, it then pulls in some of those Bard-esque ex- like experiences where you could have a conversation. Um, but, you know, David, you corrected me because at first I was like, oh, this is going to be more of those informative, like how to do this, packing list for this, best practices for this. But there are examples of searches on like, which which park should I visit with children? Like this park or this park? So there's there's definitely the opportunity for opinion-based searches, um, which is going to be the most interesting addition in my, in my opinion, uh, my personal opinion. I think it'll be able yeah, to I, do more than just spit out lists and quick answers. Yeah, I think maybe to illustrate it for people listening and who haven't seen it, which I recommend they look at it. It's essentially yeah. like you type in your search query on Google and essentially like it shows the search results, but then there's also this section above all the search results that pretty much takes up your whole screen once it's done loading and it'll just summarize like a bunch of what the search results might already say, but in a paragraph above all the results with like three citations to the right. And you can then interact with that summary similar to like how significantly is it's almost like adding even more above the sponsored ads before you even get to the organic listings. That's yeah. causing a concern. And I mean, that that's going to impact click-through rates. There's questions around how does it even decide which thing to summarize and cite, cite in those results. And I think the thing we're trying to do is not just speculate, but also thinking about recommendations to mitigate risk and limit the downside, but also capture the upside. Like, sure, people can speculate. I honestly don't think Google even knows what they're going to do with this product because they're mm-hmm. kind of, they're like in an arms race with Microsoft and OpenAI. Like, yeah. they probably weren't even going to release release this for another year until they saw that ChatGPT is starting to, like, eat their lunch. And so they're just, it's really impressive, actually, how quickly they're starting to launch a bunch of stuff. But this is going to change so much over the next coming weeks and months that I think it'd be silly to just, like, make some fear-based decisions on your content strategy so soon until we kind of get to a point of like, oh, we have an idea of how they're pulling these results in. Now we can try to optimize for it, but we don't even know if what they roll out now is going to be what ultimately, what it ultimately looks like in a couple months. That's the piece too, is that everybody's in the same boat with regards to not really knowing how to optimize for that format and for that channel. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm just echoing your point around like, preparedness versus prediction which we've talked about before and especially when you see speculative voices like i just personally i would not build a case like i wouldn't i wouldn't put all my chips on the table um based on something speculative uh because if that doesn't happen then you have it's a huge risk but you can still you could still be prepared uh for for this world yeah I f- yeah i think we said it um one last thing on that one is like the people who make predictions have no skin in the game, but the people who make decisions based on the speculations of p- people who have no skin in the game have like uh, significantly more risk, like uh, exponentially more risk because they're building on someone else's speculation. 
which well you know so more so so that's a nassim taleb thing and that's from skin in the game yeah, and he that. also talked yeah. about it in the black swan but um to give an example it's like if you are a um, talking head who makes stock predictions you don't have anything to lose because you are entertaining and the wilder the speculations the more views you get so you win no matter what you win if you're right you're wrong i mean there's a ton of people who are wrong the inverse jim kramer etf is like a thing right <laughs> or scott galloway like there's like an inverse index fund based on like his predictions but no matter what they say i mean it's a different thing if they are putting their money where their mouth is is what i mean that's truly skin of the game but the people who are taking those predictions and actually putting their money into those they're the ones who actually have have risk they're the ones who win or lose based on what that person says but what the person says they win no matter what they say because they're getting attention and that's what they want yeah i think at first in this memo i was going to acknowledge some of the chatter on linkedin but i actually removed it because i was like it ultimately doesn't really matter what these people are saying it just matters that people are saying things which is an indicator for us and our clients to just pay attention i think that's step one like subscribe to google's newsletter pay attention to this shit watch the videos just get the full rundown on what's coming um secondly adjust expectations to how much again there's no number to this it's more of just preparing mentally for what will likely happen and then in terms of our realm and what we pay attention to you know organic traffic and the the things that come from that and then i think a third order way of preparing um is through diversifying your content which we can get into that now or we can talk a little bit more about sge but i think and this is something we've shouted from the rooftops since we started working together and we started building the agency i mean alex you wrote a brilliant piece on variable strategy you know how to mimic a financial portfolio with also borrowed from nassim taleb <laughs> should we just <laughs> invite him on this podcast <laughs> he's our invisible advisor <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think what I'm personally really interested in is how Google will cite these Gen AI results. Uh, some of the pictures and the clips from the video have, like, the park example. They pulled up, like, the National Park website, and they, they cite the sources that they pull these condensed and summarized results from, as they do with featured snippets. But then other pictures, other little snapshots don't. So that's, that's my big question now, is how ultimately you can optimize content to show up in these results. That's not something we can answer now. I don't think we should speculate on it. Um, but it's going to be a similar process as how we learn to optimize for featured snippets, featured snippet lists, other things like that. Probably a little bit more complex considering they're summarizing from a handful of results. Um, but regardless, I think continuing to diversify the content you create and the distribution channels that you choose uh, is really important because I think people forget that Google and SEO are earned channels. Um, some people, it's just natural for them to rank based on their domain rating or the quality of their content. We've seen it a lot with our clients, but it, ultimately we have little to no power at how these things happen. And this is a really good reminder of that. You can veto this if you want, but something that I've been thinking about uh, for two reasons. One, how humans are interfacing with information retrieval, uh, which is Google search for the most part has 
has been the uh, center, the grounds by which people interface with information in society. But also Ben Pines, the episode that you did, David, with Ben, he brought up this existential question and it kind of in passing, like he's like, well, what it kind of brings the question of like, what is the value of content? Like, what are we doing? Like, why, why is this valuable? What about information is even valuable to the end reader? And it makes me start to question and think about that because, you know, in this example of like, which park should I visit? Like, do, do you want, um, like, what, like what is, what is useful when it comes to that? Is it like where, where most people visit? Is it, a recommendation from a specific source. For example, when I travel, I don't go to TripAdvisor and I don't go to like these listicle sites because I don't want the the generic like top 10 list. I might look at it right. to get like ideas, but I usually go to specific people. You know, I, I look at like Bourdain's old episodes and I look at um, maybe forums or something like that. Um, but it's like, what, what about content is, is the thing that we're looking for? Where is that like needle in the haystack, I guess? I like this question. I think it's a question that everyone should be asking um, because ultimately the, we talked about this last episode. Um, I think this notion of fallacy analysis is starting to apply to who we trust. And I think the power of content online, especially content that's discovered through something as generic as Google, I don't think that that content is seen as trustworthy as other sources. And this is a sweeping assumption. There might be folks that are much less technical than us. I mean, we know all the ins and outs of this stuff, right? So we look at some of this with with a grain of salt, but there might be park visitors who've never traveled before and they're like, oh, this is I this is more than I would ever be able to learn from my peers, right? Like they're the first ones traveling, they just want to know the lay of the land. Um, but when it comes to, you know, a B2B audience, I am super interested in how those types of searches, people searching for ways to do their job better, make more money, you know, improve operations in their team, which is where we dabble. Um, I'm curious to see how these gen AI results will summarize and surface those kind of solutions. And if folks will find what they're looking for and dip, or if they'll use the results to go deeper and find new brands, you know, hmm. and convert in that way. Cause I mean, a lot of the examples I've been seeing now, given Google gave us like a two second preview of what this will look like. It's all, <laughs> I mean, e-bikes, plants, parks, planets, uh, pool party, Bluetooth speakers, like oranges. I'm not seeing anything to do with business yet. And I think that that's going to be a different experience for B2B searchers. Uh, I'm curious what you guys think about that. In, in, for me, information or advice, or it always had to be specific to be useful. So for, for this, like your second point there, which is kind of a speculation of how people might use this, which is to go right. deeper on a, a certain subject. That's how I've been using ChatGPT for the most part. It's not to get to some revelation that's specific to my situation. It's really to like find the definitional landscape to be able to ask the right questions and go to the right sources if I'm just new to a subject entirely. And then I go find that specific information. But I, I think it it is very good for getting you to that point faster than trying to sift through a bunch of Google search results because I've given this example in the podcast before, and this is, <laughs> it's really a, um, it's a lamentation of how we've done content marketing in the past, which is a, a function of like the channel. So it's trying to format it to match the intent of what people have grown to expect from search results. So I've given the example of when I was trying to write 
like a welcome email sequence for our newsletter. So I was looking up like, Hey, how do I write this? And then every article was from some SaaS company. And the first section was, what is a welcome email? I'm like, well, I know what that is. So I, I can skip this. And then it was like the benefits of a welcome email. I'm like, okay, cool. Got that. And then it's like the examples of a welcome email I'm like, are interesting. Doesn't really give me anything specific here. And then you get to the how to section and it's some generic advice. That's like some five point checklist that actually gives you nothing insightful. So, yeah. you know, if that's what generative search takes away, then good riddance. Like, I think that is a good thing. Yeah, I, I do worry like from a content creation standpoint, as someone who has written many an ultimate guide, that was literally my job for like the first nine months at HubSpot was just pillar pages. That format and that order of presenting content is determined by what's already on Google, right? So we've created this weird flywheel of Google determining what people are looking for, spitting out this list of of search results that are just all the same. And then people who go to create similar pieces because they want to rank for welcome email or how to write a welcome email, they go to Google to find out how to optimize. And all that's doing is inputting more of this generic junk. And then that's all that ever ranks on Google for welcome email is the same order of shitty basic stuff. Right. And so I'm curious, I'm just so curious is like, is jet, is these, are these gen AI results going to, continue to support that flywheel of information or is it going to break the mold and force us to write and create different content to help that stuff rank it's all speculation now but it's just it's got my mind thinking Hmm. i've been slowly developing this hypothesis and validating with people and maybe i'm just there's some bias there but let me zoom out a lot and say I think there's this movement right now towards reducing human interaction and increasing convenience. Like we've talked about this a bit, like people order stuff from DoorDash. They don't want to talk to people. They use dating apps Mm -hmm. because they're scared of talking to people in real life. Like there's so many different things in our lives that reduce quote, reduce friction and just means like we're not talking to people and like doing that messy interaction. And I think generative AI is fitting into that. And what Google is doing is fitting Mm -hmm. into that as well, where it's like, Oh, let me not go look for someone's personal experience. Let me just get what this AI tells me is the best thing or like whatever. And I think there's going to be a counter motion towards people wanting nuance, wanting human interaction. Like that's why these in-person events are starting to like come back and like these communities are coming back because people just want to be with other people. And I think with content, there's going to be a point where people are like, I think it's going to accelerate that idea of the whole top 10 search results saying the same damn thing. And people are going to be craving that nuance. They're going to be like, this is so fucking generic. Like, give me the fucking yeah. nuance. Tell me how, how to think about my specific situation. I want to hear from a human, not an AI that's just summarizing all the generic bullshit online. I feel very strongly about this. I hate this stuff. But I think uh, it'll help for too. like, I think it'll help with like the objective, like informational stuff. But for a, someone in B2B SaaS or like a marketing leader who's trying to figure out this challenge they have with team, like building a team and budget allocation and like these challenges they're having with their CEO, you can't Google that stuff. Like you need to speak yeah. to your peers and other humans about their experience to get that. I think it's so easy. Like that shit doesn't matter. Like the, it's, it's really, even today, it's really easy to find what an AB test is, right? It's a, a controlled experiment that uses randomization to establish some sense of causality in 
you know, treating uh, an experience. But then it's like, so what? Like, that doesn't give you anything. That's just a definition. Same with account-based marketing. It's like, oh, you aim at a specific account instead of, like, broad-based inbound marketing where you, like, filter and qualify leads. You actually go after a target list. And it's like, so what? Like, that doesn't give yeah. you any information. That's why I went years. Yeah. Like, I went a long time not knowing what ABM was because all those articles are written by people who probably have never ran an ABM orchestration. Then I talked to my friend yeah. Joe. <laughs> I talked yeah. to my friend Joe, and he's like, oh, here's what it is. I'm like, dude, that was fucking so easy uh. and straightforward. Why does, like... <laughs> Yeah. Why, why well, it's the incentives of the channel. I do think there is a certain percentage of people who are going to be happy with that frictionless world. And the reason I think that is because all of this stuff already exists and it clearly works in, in many cases. Also, I think a lot of people don't want to talk to humans and don't want to have the nuance, don't want to go down and do like, the so deep and dirty sad. work. Dude, I saw an ad on Instagram. So there, one, there's this company called like replica.ai and it's apparently like yeah. an AI partner like a girlfriend a boyfriend and it's just like really popular <laughs> which is crazy to me but then i saw this ad on instagram the other day which was basically chat gpt uh, interface for your text messaging and i the example they used was literally like somebody rejecting somebody else and it was like i'm sorry like i didn't have a good time. I don't see a romantic connection here. And it was like written in ChatGPT style. And I'm like, yo, if you are the person who does this, I don't want you anywhere near my life. Like if yeah. it, it doesn't even have to be, you don't have to do it to me, but if you do that to other people, like you are, you are an NPC to me. <laughs> I, I think that this is like modern day natural selection. Um, in a way, not that people are just going to die take. off if they just use Gen AI all the time. But I mean, our lives are already like the footprint of our lives are already so much smaller after COVID. And I think like anxiety has increased. I mean, David, you shared a chart or a set of charts with us a couple weeks ago on like searches, like how to make new friends, like social organizations in my city, like that is up and to the right all the way, like max searches across the board for this shit. And I, I do worry. I mean, I've had conversations with my husband about this, like how convenience is overrated. Like I don't, mm -hmm. he, we don't do delivery groceries. There's obviously a time and place for that, right? Like bachelorette parties, you have your groceries delivered, you're done. But like when you're living in a city, there's a beauty to like going out and going grocery shopping and stopping and talking to your neighbors. And it's not comfortable. I mean, I spend almost every day by myself. So having to do that on the weekends is like re-upping that habit. But like it's, I want to continue to push that for myself. And I think digital interactions, right? Like some people are alone they live out in the country or they they don't want to go out into the world but like having a forum like reddit is so precious because you're like oh this is literally like person to person opinion based conversation i know they've integrated ads but like i hope that forums like that are not watered down either and i am curious to see how this new perspectives motion for google will look it looks like they're rolling out a new search filter like the same way you can filter results by news and images and videos it says perspectives will include like q a discussion forums social media Media videos and they actually use the example query of how to make new friends mm, and it that's pulls funny. up like TikTok wow. videos and opinion-based articles <laughs> as for our work i'm i think that is where our like work for clients without leadership and brain content might thrive the like the opinion-based stuff i, I want to dig more when this is released into how google decides what is ranked but i think that that is a good counteraction to this generic gen ai stuff because Ultimately, 
my understanding, limited understanding of how AI works, and Alex, you can correct me, is it's it's a collection of like patterns across like content on the web, right? Like they're pulling mm-hmm. together, it's pulling together commonalities across like how these queries are answered. So it's still going to be that high level generic shit. It might cut time down, but it's not going to deliver anything super super nuanced. And I think that's where this perspectives filter might help. But we'll have to see. That's why Google, I, I should say, we should hit on this, even though it, it is entirely unclear what they're actually going to do with this. But that's where I see the optimism, the optimistic case, is that if they do blended search results where it's not a purely chat-based LLM uh, model that kind of like, you know, takes in all the data and, and does next word prediction to get you a, a facsimile of an answer, if they have that as sort of the quick answer plus a, a, a more diverse selection of voices, which they have explicitly said in their, in their um, statement, they said featuring a wide range of voices and sources Mm -hmm. we don't know what that looks like but i actually think that's a very bullish case like that actually could be a much better world for search than than currently exists well i am curious too like right now you've got featured snippets which have like someone's just really massaged the article to show up and then you've got some pretty basic stuff underneath and i wonder if with these new gen ai results is if it's if it's going to be more of the high level summary at the top taking up most of the page and then you maybe have the more nuanced underneath like i i don't know how they'll layer in those additional results if it'll just be repetition of what they've summarized at the top or if it will deliver a little bit more color in the results i'm not sure which, which would be amazing. Well, I, I just want to plug us real quick. Um, we're still building and creating uh, for for our clients and our, our prospects. But a couple things that we've done to future-proof our business, um, we, we're search experts 100%. Like we've, we've really indexed on search as a channel because it's been one of the most propitious, highly compounding efforts that you can derive uh, direct attribution conversions from. But I think at the core, we're a growth agency, and we've done things like building out domain models that actually map to your personas and buying group to figure out what things in the landscape actually matter. And then we've done the brand POV exercise to bring some qualitative nature to the topics, both ephemeral and evergreen, and to figure out what your brand actually says and cares about those things. What is your point of view? And those are the things that you can use regardless of what channel is available and how that channel changes in the future. You can use that to infiltrate Google search results optimizing for the format, of course, and whatever happens to that format and optimization. But you can also use that to flood TikTok, YouTube, whatever channels you're operating within to reach that end user and talk about the yeah. things they care about. So it's like, those are the things that I see, uh, you know, investing in preparedness. That's like a tangible example of what I mean by that. Yeah. I mean, most people don't ask as a brand, like, what do we have to say? about the world around us. I think it's been an interesting filter through which to look at business, though, because it's pretty evident when businesses are created just to be a business, which, hey, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But like then you have the businesses that are so passionate about the solution they're creating and their opinions about the world around them and the things that affect their audience, and those are, those folks are going to win. Like hmm. They're going to survive this recession thing we're going through, and they're going to survive all of these digital changes. I mean, those are the people I love working with. And those people I love like sussing out the opinions they have, because like you said, Alex, it's literally just, it's the strongest foundation you can lay as a brand. And then you can infuse it into your content that might rank on SEO because SEO is just a distribution channel. And then you can use all these other methods to get the, get that point of view out there. And it's going to survive beyond 
this mess that we're in. <laughs> Does that um, segue into the quick point that I wanted to make on the notes around channel experts and like how they think very narrowly yes. about a specific? Yeah. So, I mean, this happens everywhere. Like in conversion optimization, people would very narrowly look at like, what does the CTA say? And like, what type of experiment are you running? But then forget all of the rest of the up part of the funnel that brought people to that point anyway. And in, we see it more in content and in SEO and like, you can see it by um, both the inclination or the personality type of the person as well as what role they um, they have. So like in content marketing, like you kind of see a divergence. The tech forward people are thinking, oh, how can I use generative AI to quicken my content production and like basically produce 10x faster? And then there's the other side that's like, an AI could never replace a human, never. <laughs> but they're only looking at it in this small microcosm. And the same thing is now happening with generative search. And like SEOs are looking at that purely in terms of the channel optimization and not the entire composite puzzle. So my example was um, with regards to the messaging and end user. I have talked about this before on the podcast, but LinkedIn is a, an effective channel for us. It's where business people hang out. We have very strong points of view. We have a lot of content that we've written, a lot of things that we as a brand care about, and also things that are just interesting that each of us individually care about. And we know who our end user is, and they're somewhat difficult to reach. They're, they're marketing leaders at scaling ambitious uh, SaaS companies. Um, so we were doing LinkedIn. We got a couple of leads from it. So we're like, all right, let's turn up the heat a little bit. Hire a LinkedIn marketing agency. And the LinkedIn marketing agency is an absolute expert in the channel of LinkedIn, but they're not business experts and growth experts. So they only look at it. They only look at that piece isolated from the rest of the puzzle. So what they did was they formatted my stuff differently. They added emojis. They added hooks. They added carousels. They added offers that you had to like comment to engage with to get and all of those little tricks. And what happened was my engagement or my awareness went like, 10x, 50x. Like it was so many more people who were viewing it, but no leads. Like it was all the wrong people. So everything about the channel was optimized, but it actually lowered my results from a business perspective. So it's like when you only have a hammer, all the problems look like a nail. <laughs> so over optimizing for the format of the channel specifically can help if it fits into the rest of the puzzle. But if it's, if it's divorced from that, then it may actually have adverse effects. Yeah, that's why I like referring to to our agency and our strategist as you know content content growth agency or content growth strategist because we we are SEO experts. Like we know what's going on. We have lots of experience there. We can help our clients compete well on search engines, especially with what's going on now. But if your business does not call for SEO or your business's audience is not on search yet, or you are dealing with category creation, so you're dealing with terms that have no search volume yet, we can still help you. <laughs> like We can help your business grow as we've done before for each of our businesses individually and for the businesses that we've worked in-house at. And I just don't, I don't like when folks pigeonhole agencies as like SEO or just content or whatever. And it's like, I, that removes so much nuance from how to grow a SaaS business or how to grow really any business. And that's where I like to dabble. That's what's fun for me. And if SEO is the channel that's best fit, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not. Just a slight pushback. Um, and it's not pushback, but it's it, this is the constant um, push and pull between somebody in-house who is like, we don't make a CMS. We make a, a content optimization uh, universe of blah, blah, blah. And like, But the market has to put you in a category because right. otherwise it doesn't make sense. And there's no budget for you know, holistic growth, blah, 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 agency. It's uh -huh. like there's an SEO budget. 
And so it's like kind of a push and pull. And this is like the fundamental positioning work. You should read mm-hmm. uh, Ob- Obviously Awesome by April Dunford. Great book on that. Yeah, you and I have had lots of positioning conversations. Yeah, I think um, the, the talk about channel expert thinking and optimizing for the wrong thing also goes into this topic I've had in mind about like actually having an impact versus appearing to have an impact. Whereas someone who's just focused on LinkedIn is like, look at all the impressions we're getting. But then the business leader is like, cool, are we getting leads or revenue from that? And they're like, no, but we're getting a lot of likes. Um, mm. Or someone who's just for, focused on content and trying to grow organic traffic, for instance, is probably freaking out about this whole SGE, SGE experience because it's likely going to negatively impact organic traffic. And I wonder if there's going to be some segment of companies or like marketing leaders who say, hey, we're losing a lot of organic traffic. And that's not impacting our revenue or leads. And then all of a sudden, those people who are optimizing for organic traffic and writing the wrong type of content to optimize for that, all of a sudden, they're like, oh, shit, I've just been exposed to not have any business impact. The (laughs) emperor had no clothes the whole time. I'm I'm, I'm optimizing for the wrong thing. And they they were probably just riding, like, a larger wave of, like, the business just having a lot of success. And they're able to hide behind appearing to have an impact by optimizing for these metrics but not actually positively impacting revenue or, or lead or, or pipeline and i think it's gonna it's gonna force marketers to level level the fuck up like focus on having business impact not these vanity metrics not just focusing on these deliverables that you're you're presenting but actually being able to show what yeah. your work is contributing to yeah, this reminds me of an episode a few months ago, maybe more, damn, about um, how content marketers tend to fall into the writer bucket more than the, mar- the marketer bucket. And sometimes it's it's self-induced or it's a lack of you know driving yourself forward in terms of skill building. But I've seen a lot of peers be laid off during this time. Before with the first wave, first couple waves, and now more so. And it bums me out because I feel like, and it could be a consequence consequence of many things, right? There's so many things going on. But I do think that content folks tend to be on the the fringes of the marketing team. And it could be a result of really trimming down to the most, most impactful marketing members or it could be because those folks were focused on content quality and editorial quality and and engagement on social and traffic and they didn't know or weren't worried about really understanding how does this work truly make the business money and keep my job safe um and i think like you said it's going to force folks to diversify their skill set and understand like at the end of the day i'm a marketer that needs to make money um and great content is great content quality is is a top priority for us, but we do not forsake business impact for quality. Um, and I think I've seen some content marketers, other types of marketers too, right? Like email marketers, all it, it can happen in any type of uh, channel function, but yeah, it's definitely a trend I've been paying attention to and it, it really bums me out. So I think this is a good forcing function for folks to really diversify what they bring to the table. Maybe we'll, yeah. res- we'll see the return of the generalist. Yeah. Yeah. Genera- generalist being the apex predator of the business world. <laughs> <laughs> Specialists ruled the, the land for far too long, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, time it to take pretty, back. It is yeah, tell me what, to do a lot of different marketing stuff, though. What do you mean by that, Alex? It sounds like 
specialists have ruled for too long. Now it's time for generalists. <laughs> I'm going to reference um, uh, Devin and Margaret's podcast, the Don't Say Content, because they also referenced me, which is cool. We're doing a little uh, bi-directional backlinking here. Um, but we were talking about how over the pandemic and like when there was peak inflation among tech companies and bloat and all kinds of company or all kinds of people were making you know, 2X, 3X, what we make now, like out of college, you know, it's like there, there was such insanity. And I would see these, in, in, in fact, very privileged and entitled tweets and LinkedIn posts around like, oh, like you, you're hiring a content marketer, but you also expect email copy and images. And, and they would list a bunch of stuff off. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I did, totally. And also that's fun. Like you get to grow as a person and as a marketer by doing things that are outside of your lane. And lo and behold, those are revenue generating activities. And if you wanted to contribute to the company, you would be thrilled. I mean, you don't want to be burnt out and overwhelmed, obviously, but there's nothing wrong with like when, when I was a marketer early in my days at Lawn Starter, like I did cold sales, I did everything, you know, it was like some product management, some like customer support, like all the things. Cause it was a startup. And then at CXL, like I would Similarly, like I was doing Google Tag Manager implementations and this and that, and it was never something I complained about. It was something that was like, fuck yeah, like this is going to set me up to be a founder or a marketing leader someday. But I think that the days of that person, I mean, I don't know if they're over. There's always going to be the case for a specialist, but especially in times of change, of transformation, when the channels themselves are changing and how content is created and consumed is changing, you need somebody who doesn't look at that purely as their expertise area. You need somebody who can lift up and, and, and basically be like, what actually needs to be accomplished in order to hit our business goals? And that, to me, is, is more of a generalist who can pattern connect and you know isn't as... Um, isn't as attached to, uh, you know, some sense of identity around what they do. Yeah. Also just being open to being effective elsewhere, like getting a chance to be plugged in across other parts of the business, learn from people that are better than you at your job. Like, I think there's just this fundamental sense of humility maybe that's been set aside through the last few years. Yeah, like I'm too good for that. Like I have yeah, two I, years of experience. And yeah, like I, and I'm all for like protecting your time. Like I do think there was a wave early on where like younger folks were younger folks were taken advantage of for being younger, and you know, like you got to put your nose to the grindstone and you know earn your keep and all that stuff. And I, but there's a balance, you know, like you. You are younger. You don't have the experience. You should be grateful to have exposure to some of these marketing leaders and find ways to be more valuable as an employee. I think some people just don't understand how business works, maybe. But I was going to say. Like, it goes both ways. Like You protect yourself from burnout. You're honest about where your limits are. But then you jump in and you do what needs to be done now and again. right? And I just think we're reaching that equilibrium because it swung way too far to the other side. I just want to say, like, I'll take the the controversial side of that argument and say that that's not, of course, like, of course, you're exploited as a younger employee. You're exploited as an executive. You're exploited at any point uh, for your specific skills and what you add as value, you know. And I think like it depends on what your goals are. Uh, but ambitious people in industries like consulting and finance and law, they're not shocked yeah. by the fact that they have to like work long hours and be always Medicine. on for clients. <laughs> Medicine, yeah, for yeah. sure. So, I mean, if you don't want that, that's totally fine. And you can opt out of that. Like, there are chill roles. Like, you, you don't have to do that. But, like, if, if that is you, if you do care about this, like, of course you're going to have... Like, I, I just... I always expected that when I was especially younger in my career. Um, and, yeah. and still to this day, like, I still... 
especially now during like pretty, you know, chaotic and uncertain times, like I'm, I'm not above anything. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the weeds, like, I, you know, and, and that's maybe because I have goals and ambitions towards that. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I was at a meetup and we were talking about this tweet that went viral around, um, I think it was a law firm that you know, had like 10 requirements for working with them. And it was like, you know, like you're always like, if you, you know, if a client emails you, whether it's night or weekend, you respond right away. Um, you work this many hours, like you're here at this time. Uh, it had a bunch of things. And there was obviously as Twitter as a channel, there was two sides of this where <laughs> it was getting roasted on one side. And then on the other side, like I saw a bunch of, um, you know, like older tech people, um, maybe they're VCs now or like multi-time founders. They're like, yeah, this is total. like, this is what it looks like in <laughs> like fast paced, like high, highly paid positions. This is, this is not shocking at all to me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, that... I think there's always the question of like, when does that end in your life? Right. Like you, it's obviously not sustainable, but I do think that there's a buy-in that needs to happen when you enter any kind of industry and you expect to be, well, you hope to be successful and you hope to have an impact and make a lot of money. Like it doesn't just happen, (laughs) you know, like no one's, no one's protecting you. You kind of have to do your time. Right. I think that's completely fair. And for a while that went away for a while, you didn't really have to prove yourself. Like I think all of us felt like we really had to early in our Mm -hmm. careers. And I think, Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe it's one of those things where like, you know, oh, it happened to me. Like it has to happen to everybody else. And maybe we're in that position and I acknowledge that that's a possibility, maybe. but I, I feel like I was, I'm better now for it. So, right. I mean, that's it's just my natu- perspective. It's a natural evolution of business though. You like, it gets fluffy and it's not clear who's contributing. And fortunately people get laid off if it isn't like a hundred percent certain. And maybe for the content marketers or people in content and SEO who, I guess, whether you're, or not, you've been laid off. Um, even if, especially if you have a role, there is a requirement that you show your contributions and people, I know a lot of people tend to ask like, well, what skills should I add to be a generalist? Like they're probably overthinking it. It's like, if you want to prove your worth, figure out how to tie your work to revenue. Like Zapier, mm-hmm. uh, someone from Zapier, I forgot her name. She did a webinar with Dave Gearhart at Exit 5 about how Zapier does like last touch attribution to communicate influence and revenue. And Regardless, like I'm willing to fight that last touch is the best model because it's easiest to communicate, easiest to understand, and like easiest to track. At least to start, you can get fancy yeah. later, but mm-hmm. like you can start communicating revenue influence now. Like learn some analytics, get into a spreadsheet, and learn how to use some formulas. There are AI tools that let you build formulas without knowing how to write a damn formula now. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Like learn about demand gen and how like the demand gen leaders are generating pipeline for the business and contribute there. There's so many different skills to build that are so obvious and in front of their faces that the question of how to yeah. adapt shouldn't, shouldn't even be a question. Well, that's yeah, a good there's... framework too. Is like you, I've always looked, and if you're in-house, you can do this with just your company. But if you are earlier on or you're a consultant or whatever, you could do this with multiple companies and just interviewing them. But you look for a big problem that has yet to be solved. That problem should be maximally painful for the company. Like they really want to solve it. You know, it's not just a generic problem that they're like, Oh, that'd be nice to have. And then one preferably that ties to attributable revenue. 
And if you do all those, like the skills require, like you're going to obviously see like, oh, I can do copywriting, but I can't do this, this and that. So then you just chip off and like learn this, this and that. And that's how you get towards that point. Yeah. There are more free educational resources now available than there were ever before. And if there's not, like a lot of companies have uh, education stipends, we do. You know, there's really not a lot of um, excuses for blaming, like not having the know-how, right? And I know that there's a lot of folks that are, I mean, I would love to mentor people. Like I love that shit. And I feel like there's a lot of folks that are like further on in their careers or maybe they're retired because they sold their business and they're super successful. And they'll probably, they're probably looking for ways to pass on Wait, you're Skillset you're saying too. you should reach out to human beings for mentorship instead of asking generative no, AI, Ali? AI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I literally always, by the way, when people reach out to me on LinkedIn and say like, "Hey, I'm a college student. I'm looking to get into this. Blah blah blah. Like, I'd love to ask you questions and get your advice." I always say yes. Yeah. And that was actually cool. how, like, we know Sophia now at DBT. Like, she actually reached out to I think you too, David. Right? You reached out to like, like when we were at HubSpot. Bars. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but she reached out to oh. me and you and a bunch of other people, and now she's like a friend of ours. And she, but yeah. she was like, so she's like, yeah, I want to learn about this, and I, I think I'm going to this career. But what do you, what, what's your experience like, and how did you get yeah. to this point? And I was like, this is well, so cool. I, I wish I would have done this when I was in college. <laughs> I remember um, Ronnie introed me to Sierra, who was recently at Superpath, because um, Sierra was looking for more like women who are further on in their marketing careers, and she we talked a lot and it was really cool i just understood what was important to her but she surfaced like some pretty interesting questions about like you know how many times do i post on linkedin right and she's like all the articles say like five to seven or whatever and it, <laughs> that's a perfect example of how you have these search optimized like these pieces have been written for a reason like they're not lying like yes you need to post on linkedin but like who like it doesn't need to be a specific number so really it's the human human interaction that will help you loosen up your hold on some of these generic Google pieces that still have value. Yes. Best practices. Best practices. I, I want to no, rant about that. There's no bet. I've had this tweet in my like stupid drafts for a while. There's no article. You can't write an article on best practices for how to think for yourself or how to like go through your own process of trial and error and like learn, like really hone that gut feeling, right? Like, no one can teach you that. You just have to fucking exist in life and try new things. And that's why I think that people like everyone's just fucking mirror images of each other. Like everyone's just following the same shit that's on Google or they're creating content to mirror that content. Um, I don't know where I was going to be. An the only way, way to think for you yourself <laughs> is to go walk out into the woods, find a big stick and a Creek Wait, and sit walking. by the Creek and ponder called? forward ambulating through the woods <laughs> <laughs> need, forest you bathing. To, you got to find a big stick <laughs> by the creek and ponder. <laughs> Everybody knows this. No, no. First, first, it's how to think. What is thinking? What are the benefits? Of thinking? <laughs> what are the benefits Actually, of let's, thinking? Let's ask some, some examples. Let's ask AI. <laughs> ask oh my god. Yeah. No. How, for how sure. I mean. First. 
Have you? I mean, you, you, you two have fallen into this too. Like, I found myself at multiple times in my life parroting points of view that I had heard somewhere else, and I'm like, wait, that's not a thought that I've I've made myself. To to an extent, I'll give you an example. I was just talking about this yesterday, but um, I'm moving to New York City, and one idea in my head was always like, I wanted to live in a big city, but I would never want to raise kids kids there. And then I was in New York talking to a, a friend who is raising two kids in Park Slope, which is a very nice. It's a, it's it's like a calmer neighborhood than like in Austin where I lived. And he's like, yeah, it's great. Like there's a good school nearby. And like, they blah, 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 do this and that. And I was like, where did that idea come from? Like I had never, I had never sat down and thought, you know, like the pros and cons. Like I didn't come up with that idea myself. And like that, that's like obviously a, you know, it's not a marketing or business example, but there's many cases where I, I believe something and I'm like, wait, why do I believe this? And then I sort of yeah. like trace it down or like, why do I want this? Or like, and you just start to, you start to realize like how many of the things that you believe or want are uh, subject to like what other people, you know, they're, yeah. they're not things that you've actually thought about yourself, which that's fine. You should borrow from other people because we only have a limited amount of time and bandwidth to do this. But like for important issues, it really does help to, to go on a long drive, to sit there and think and be like, what, what, what are we doing? Like, yeah. what is this? What do I think? What are we doing? Yes. Social media exposure, uh, is definitely a double-edged sword. Um, in terms of like how subconsciously infused we are with other people's opinions or this notion of right or wrong. I mean, obviously you carry things from your childhood and your parents influence, but I had a similar thought in Chicago. I was like, when it's time for us to start a family, we'll leave. And I'm like, why? Why? Where did they come from? Yeah. Yeah, And like, that's what, I mean, double clicking on the notion of talking to real fucking people. Like, you have to expose yourself to a bunch of different things, whether it is specific to this B2B stuff that that we all like play in, or if it's just life in general. Um, Yeah, it's just so important to have all these diverse inputs. Yeah, maybe for people listening, maybe for people listening, I don't know, maybe I'll regret this, or maybe no one will reach out, but if you're panicking about what's going on and need, like, someone to talk candidly to about whether this shit is actually going to impact us as much as all the, like, the doomsayers are saying it will, just reach out, we'll talk about it, I, we're not going to try to sell you, I'll just say that, maybe we will, but... Well, if there's I, a I've, case to be I've, sold, then yes, we will. I've spoken to many. You. We're just I've spoken, help you. <laughs> but I've spoken to so many other marketing leaders who are experienced in all this and like doing marketing for for a long time, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm not too worried," or like, "Yeah, AI is cool. We're using it for our business, but it's not like taking anyone's job," which is the complete opposite of what you're fucking seeing on social media and everything. So. Yeah, I'll just give you an example. Like I still, to this day, like I do, I, I get like a multitude of inputs into my life. So as a business owner now, I have open lines with a couple different agency founders and CEOs who I just reach out to. We talk maybe once a month and we figure out like what the market looks like, what clients are saying, like just to get a temperature check there. I keep um, younger marketers like, and I try to see what's like, what's up and coming, what's new, what trends I'm missing. I have older mentors of mine who I kind of look towards for like longer types of wisdom, but I, I'm always, I'm seeking different viewpoints and I keep open calls with, um, all of these people. And I talk to clients regularly and see like what, you know, what's their temperature check. And you know, there's a variety of opinions, but you start to triangulate and think about like, all right, this, this is an extreme position in this direction. This is an extreme position in the other direction. 
it might be right that one of those is right, but it might be in the middle. Uh, but you start to get multiple different viewpoints instead of um, what I think uh, maybe Ali were alluding to on social media, which tends to be the most sensationalist voices yeah. and tends to sway your opinion towards um, kind of one of the extremes versus yeah. um, something maybe more more realistic and rational. Yeah, there's always an agenda. Yeah, go That's talk to people. Pessimist, pessimistic. Finish listening touch, to this podcast. And go, go touch grass. Go forward, <laughs> ambulate. Forward, ambulate. <laughs> And Jeez. forest bathed. <laughs> <Talk to you. laughs> Just sounds weird.